Hi, everybody. It's Kim Winter from Logistics Executive Group. It's my pleasure to host another Insights interview and uh, with one of the business leaders that we've identified around the world that uh, we want to talk to. And today, um, it's my absolute uh, pleasure to be talking to Pauline Kirk. Hey, Pauline, how are you going? Hi, Kim. How are you? I'm so blessed and honoured to be here today. Good on you. And you're, uh, you're tucked away in Singapore today. I am. It's not so sunny here today, but normally it is, but yes, All in good. Singapore. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. And, and Pauline, you're the um, you're the principal global supply chain uh, for network strategy with BHP, a very large organisation. So what I'd like to do is um, to start off, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your personal journey, um, both from, you know, from, from young and how you end up getting into supply chain and then a little bit about the role that you have as well. Yeah, sure. So I think like most people, I sort of accidentally fall into, into supply chain. So I'm no different. So I'm British born, um, went to university in the UK and I was quite fortunate enough to get a free education from the government. So I was the last year to get a free education. So like everyone, I got a degree. I got a degree in business management. And then when I left because um, I didn't want to live near where I where I grew up. I wanted to move somewhere else and have a bit more of a free spirit and freedom from my parents. Um, I incurred a bit of cost. Um, so what I did from there was I finished my degree and like everyone else, I wanted to go and travel the world and I just didn't have any money to go and travel. So what happened was, um, this is where I accidentally fell into supply chain, is that a role came up in the British Navy where I actually got to go and travel around the world um, and get paid to travel. So why wouldn't I sign up for that? So, uh, so that's exactly what I did. It's not everyone's chosen career path um, you know, for a lot of people, but for me, it was like, if someone's going to pay me some money to, to travel, then why wouldn't I do that? So that's like literally how I found the supply chain. So in terms of there, um, I'd stayed in the military for five years. Um, the challenge was I actually went to Iraq, I actually served in Iraq for eight months uh, back in 2003 during the Second Gulf War. And my views, I'm in logistics and supply chain. I'm not in I'm not in a world of saving lives. So for me, when I was on a medical ship providing medical logistics, it was pretty horrific in terms of my mental health. And that's one of the reasons why I chose to leave the military on that basis. Um, it was literally, I love the industry, I love the role that I played in terms of being on a floating warehouse, traveling around the world. So that stuff really excited me, but I just really didn't want to be in that industry where I'm literally not a trained doctor and nurse. So it's sort of really, really to my detriment, um, wasn't the best move for me, but uh, it was an amazing experience for me, but it was just really important for me to step out of that environment and, uh, and continue in the industry. And I'm still here 20 years later. Okay, awesome. <laughs> And uh, the decision making to take the corporate route that you took, the interest in the company that you you ended up going with was you went straight into BHP or you've been with other organisations? I've been around the block for a while, Kim. So I've done everything and everything. So I started my career, as I say, in the military. And then from there, I actually moved into building and implementing warehouses, totally different, but it was really exciting to actually be part of an implementations program. So I actually was part of the initial project team that set up um, Woolworths in the UK in terms of a massive um, facility, 40,000 square meter facility back in 2005. So times have progressed from there. I then moved from warehousing in terms of building warehouses. I then moved into, I was like, oh, this is exciting, but not really something I really wanted to do. And I wanted to go and spend some time in e-commerce because that was a really exciting thing. So then I went from there and then, you know, along various paths, I ended up in e-commerce and, and really loved the e-com world. It was really exciting. 
lots of sexy technology and automation, which really excites me. And I was actually part of the project team who actually launched um, Click and Collect and Choose Your Store, Choose Your Day for Marks and Spencers online. So that was pretty much back then in 2009, a real game changer in the industry. Hey, well, thanks for that, Pauline. And, and perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about the very senior role that you have currently. Um, you are the principal global supply chain network strategy person for BHP. What is that all about? So it's a hell of a title. It's a very big title. Uh, it's a very big responsibility as well, Kim. So I basically look after the spare parts network for, for BHP globally. So what does that mean is that any parts that come from our inbound supply chain, so that's when it, once it arrives at port, I have a colleague who manages the transport to the warehouse, and I basically manage then the design element from around making sure that our warehouses are fit for purpose in terms of then what products we hold inside the warehouses. Does it fit inside the building and what technologies we use to actually pass that product through into our warehouses to our end customer? And for me, the end customer in my business is around my maintenance manager. So making sure that he's got the spare parts to repair the equipment. So then obviously then that equipment can go in and basically manage the commodity side of the business. Okay. And uh, in regards to that, I should imagine there's some pretty large and significant SKUs in that business on BHP. Um, tell us a little bit about how the last year has been for you. I mean, there's been a lot of disruption. It's been talked about all year. I'm not going to deep dive too much on the pandemic, but in terms of effect on your business, um, have there been major changes and, and major impacts? And, and if so, how have you managed those? So it's actually been a really interesting year for BHP, Kim, because we actually had a record bumper year for IRI and all business in Australia. So we actually pushed out more products out the ground than we ever have done in our entire history, which is incredible when you think about it, given the current situation. So with that becomes a different set of challenges. It's around making sure we've got the right parts in the right place at the right time to manage that element of the business. But also we went through this whole big buying program where we actually bought a lot of extra inventory, given the situation. And therefore, then we had a we actually ran out of space in the warehouses to actually hold our parts. So therefore, it brought down a different set of challenges around how we manage our product through the network from a spare parts point of view. And to your point, Kim, we range everything from a small bolt to something that takes a crane and four hours to move. So we're not your standard, you know, nice square pretty boxes. It fits on a nice square pallet that can easily go into, you know, that easily goes on a truck. You know, it is, is quite a complex network. Sure, and it's also sure. a very remote network and a very dusty network. So um, so that also brings out a different set of challenges when some of my mining operations are, you know, um, require 53 hours by truck in, in some remote locations in Australia. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and it's basically most of your operations for the APAC region are in Australia or, or far and wide? Far and wide. So if we, we have a majority of our product comes out of Australia, but we have a big operation happening in South America too. And there's some work happening in Canada. So, um, so our, hence why we're in Singapore, because it makes more sense from a global perspective, um, managing various different time zones. This is why Singapore is a great location for us to manage the business. Okay, awesome. Thanks for that. With, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the greening of industry. Um, the green agenda is right on the top of all the way through from federal and local governments, certainly in Australia, but I, I think it's fair to say globally we've seen some huge news come out of the UK in recent days around uh, strategy and policy in regards to environmental um, safety and environmental uh, benefit and greening agendas. 
Talk to us a little bit about how, how you guys are uh, reacting to that or driving or leading in that space. We've made some massive strides in that area, Kim, and I've been very fortunate to stand here as part of um, the BHP team in terms of making these comments. So last year, we made a massive um, decision to switch to 100% renewable energy for our copper operations in South America, and we're going to achieve that by the mid-2020s. We've recently also signed up for a five-year contract to source wind and solar to deliver up to half of our power needs uh, required for our Queensland mining operations in Australia. And part of that, we're supporting the biggest development of Australia's largest solar farm in Queensland. And also we're working on the McIntyre Wind Project in Carrara, also in Queensland. So our target as a business is to cut our existing carbon emissions globally by 30% by 2030 and to be net zero by 2050, which is going to be an outstanding achievement for our industry. Wow, that's interesting. Well done on that. And um, I mean... You're certainly one of the biggest miners in the world and, and category operators uh, globally. So it's it's always great to hear that a uh, large company, and we appreciate you uh, being prepared to disclose that information and, and share that with our audience as well. I'm sure a lot of people in the, not only in the resources and, and mining space, but right across the supply chain will be interested to hear that. Um, we've heard a lot this last nine, 12 months about how supply chain has become more visible, um, not only because of the pandemic, but a lot of activities around the versioning, e-commerce trend and online consumer behaviour, of course, precipitated and reinforced by the pandemic, um, people's ability or lack of ability to move around. How has, what's been your view, both from an internal and a more industry-wide perspective, as to how supply chain has been perceived? Have you felt that supply chain has gained a greater acknowledgement inside your organisation or industry-wide? And I know you mix with a lot of people across industry, uh, right across the supply chain. What's your perspective? Interesting to hear what you've got to say about that. Oh, 100%, Kim. I think what's been really exciting about this whole pandemic is it's really put supply chain on the map for us. Historically, no one really knew what supply chain was um, in a lot of areas. It's just another function of the business. It's generally a cost center that costs organizations money. And I think this is really a really exciting time for us in terms of then a putting supply chain on the map and actually getting people to talk about our industry because no one really does unless you're in the industry. And I think it's also around the executives in our organizations are actually talking about supply chain more and more. Historically, it's been a big push around, you know, shareholders and profits and generally most organizations and sales and the bottom line. But I think now it's really understanding organizations around making sure then that they understand the impacts of the supply chain. What does their supply chain actually look like? And then what are we actually going to do about it going forwards in terms of then how do we make sure that our supply chains are what I call fit for purpose and future fit and making sure then that we keep that on the agenda in terms of executives in our business to make sure then that there's this real sense of requirement around how important supply chains are. And I don't think that's historically happened. It's been a case of, as I say, it's been a focus on sales and cost and service. But I think now it's really been a focus on supply chain. And if you turn off your supply chain tomorrow, I think companies are quickly starting to realize how imperative that is on an organization as opposed to what they knew before the pandemic. Sure. You know, it's, it's an interesting perspective. And, and further to that whole um, awareness uh, I guess I'm interested to, I've, I've been recently talking to a range of people in Europe and in the US in particular, um, a lot of very senior females and uh, people of diversity 
at various uh, elements of diversity throughout the supply chain. And, uh, and in particular, managers who are responsible for diversity, inclusion, um, and equality. What, give me, I mean, you're a senior woman in, in Asia, with a global responsibility. You, as you say, you've been around the traps, you've been in the supply chain for a while. We all know that supply chain has suffered, like many industries, being you know, overtly male-dominated over the years. Um, there's a large push now for, for DI and E to be highly recognised and being, be integrated into part of businesses as opposed to being a bolt-on or a me-too scenario, although that's probably not the right words, but um, for, for companies to actually embrace diversity and inclusion and equality in their businesses. Uh, what are you seeing internally and, and from an industry perspective in terms of this move towards companies taking a more responsible attitude, actually taking action around diversity, inclusion and equality? It's a great question, Kim. Um, certainly from a BHP point of view, we've got massive uh, um, targets in our business around equality and it's becoming policy. And I think that's the most important thing when we talk about supply chains and looking at the industry and looking at getting more female representation in is that the industry is slowly changing. I mean, I look back 20 years in my career and, you know, what I first looked at in terms of discrimination, and I've been quite heavily discriminated against um, for quite a long period of time in, in the industry when I first started out to where we are today. And we've made some progress. I think that we need to make a lot more progress. But also as well, the industry as this, you know, we haven't marketed ourselves well either. So I think we also need to do a lot more in terms of how we market supply chain and the opportunities that are in supply chain. If we look at just even the careers available in supply chain, whether you're a man or a woman, it's just around there's so many opportunities in terms of the types of work that we can do, whether it be in HR functions, whether it can be procurement, in, um, whether it be in operations, whether it be in logistics, freight forwarding, you know, the list goes on. The other challenge we have is that women aren't, you know, women actually don't put their hands up in a lot of areas because a lot of the time that I believe we see is that the roles that are advertised are not necessarily reflective of the actual role that we're actually performing. So I think there's a lot of work to be done in the HR space around how we actually advertise those roles and what we're actually looking for in terms of candidates. If you look at it and, you know, there's certainly a lot of information out there in terms of then statistics, but for example, when a role gets advertised, a guy will look at the list and go, yeah, I roughly meet about 70% of that, to, you know, that those core attributes and what those desirable attributes are. And he'll apply for it. And a woman will sit there and go, well, actually, I can't do three things on that list and she won't apply for it. So we also need to be cumbersome around the fact that how we're actually advertising, not only our industry, but actually how we attract more women into our industry. I think the other challenge that we need to really focus on is that there are, we're not seen as thought leaders sorry, thought leaders in our field, There's, we're not well represented in terms of being thought leadership. If you look at industry conference events alone and you look at the senior, you know, senior women putting their hands up, yes, it's getting a lot more out there, but it's generally your white alpha male who, when you look at the board of who's presenting, it's not representation of the actual women in the supply chain. And one thing I was really excited about this year is that, I'm not if you've already heard of it or familiar with the event, Kim, but back in September, we had the GWSCL this year. And it was heard as a virtual conference celebrating women's supply chain. It's the first event of its kind. And, you know, it's great to see that there's all these other women out there and doing what I do and smashing glass ceilings. And we haven't we haven't celebrated that as 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 a gender. And that's really happening now. And that's something fantastic to see. 
And we're also seeing as well around a lot more female role models coming through. I mean, I never had a female role model when I when I joined the industry. Now there's a lot more female role models. I don't know if you've heard a lady of Sheree Hinge, but she's doing some amazing work in um, in terms of the supply chain revolution. We're all rebels. It's just so great to see that there's actually, you know, individual women out there who's really been a poster girl for standing up for, for you know, for empowering women. And a lot of organizations as well. So likes of Willat through Silt, and the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport have got a, a female empowerment division now. We're seeing women in supply chain and um, in Australia. I'm seeing NAWA in Australia, which is a national association of women operations. There's another forum called Awesome. So we're really making strides in this area. And it's really great to see that we're championing, promoting people and um, ladies and females in our sector. It's, it's great. That's the almanac of uh, all of the, uh, the diversity and inclusion and equality organisations that are embracing. So it's uh, uh, those issues. So it's really good. And yes, we we were we promote and uh, help promote and support uh, the GWSL uh, event from the folks there in Singapore at B2G. So a shout out to them, to to Jay and and to the team there and Frederick. Um, so well done for supporting that. Um, we, we've seen a lot of just covering off a little bit more on the subject because uh, we're very interested in here at uh, Logistics Executive and involved in a number of initiatives and in, uh, in DI&E as well. Um, we see a number of, because so much of the land that's being used for, for iron ore extraction and mining in Australia is on traditional Aboriginal land. Um, we've seen a whole range of, uh, and I won't go into the different companies, um, but a number of the big miners have put programs together to support Aboriginal communities by uh, education and uh, work opportunities and job opportunities, which is which is the best way to go for for communities that uh, suffer from unemployment, of course, and, and, and less inclusion in mainstream uh, industry. Uh, yourself, your view, any experience in any sort of programs of, of that nature? We have our own internal program, Kim, within BHP that talks around our LGBT community, but it also talks around our community in terms of our social value. So we actually integrate and we actually have this big uh, program internally and our mission statement is actually around supporting local communities and bringing in our social value. So we're doing a lot of great work in that space. Awesome. Great to hear. Just circling back on, you, you talked about recruitment and, and values and bringing people in to, to industry. As a senior executive, female in a, in a male, still very much male-dominated sector, um, although I love, I love seeing plenty of uh, shots from Sydney Morning Herald and, and various financial review when something's happening in the mining sector. There's, there's a lot more women with uh, overalls and, and high-vis vests and driving around in 1,000-tonne trucks and what have you. So clearly there's, there's ground being made there, but so much more to do. Um, from your perspective, what would you say to young woman uh, or any woman uh, coming into uh, into industry, coming into the mining sector? Uh, what encouragement would you give them? What tips would you give them in terms of of looking for roles and how to prepare themselves to best position for uh, recruitment into organisations such as your own and others in your sector? So a couple of things I'd approach it. Um, Kim, to your point, is first of all, it's around having the right attitude, whether you're male or female. So around having the right positive can-do attitude and just a real passion for what you do. For me, that um, you know, we work in a, an environment, I call it the problem-solving world, where supply chain is all about solving problems for our customers. So you have to have um, 
an understanding of being very adaptable in that environment and working under extreme pressure in some instances and managing stress. So, uh, so some of the questions I always get asked is how do I manage my own stress levels? And it's around a case of, you know, I meditate, I go to the gym, um, I do yoga and then Friday nights generally, I'll, you know, I'll start opening a bottle of wine. So, uh, so yeah, so it's also, um, also it's around just having an understanding then around what your, your, what I call your more, your core skills, and then also around your industry specific skills. So obviously some of the ones I've already spoken about in terms of core skills, in terms of your attitude. Um, and also I'd also like to highlight around just being honest um, and understanding the bigger picture. And when I talk about honesty, it's also around relationship building in terms of then building a network internally within the organization and building a network outside of your organization, actually getting to know who's doing what, what's happening in your field and what's happening generally. And so it's about picking up a book and actually understanding what's happening um, globally. It's around going online, looking at LinkedIn, following, you know, your the key people that you want to follow and who inspire you and, and which companies inspire you want to do things. But also it's around, to my point earlier, about being honest. So one of the things I do say is our, relate, uh, our environment is very, um, how to describe it? Our environment is very, um, as I say, you've got to be adaptable in, adaptable in our environment. So as I say, it, you've got to be a problem solver in the environment. So it's making sure then that you're a good communicator in that space, having good written and oral skills, but just almost be, being honest. You know, things happen, you know, for whatever reason, and not everything flows effectively in supply chain. Things happen, you've got to fix it. And sometimes, you know, things don't work out the way you want it to do and something's gone wrong because you didn't have all the information to hand for it for whatever reason. So for me, it's really important to have honesty and put your hand up and say, look, you know, I made a mistake here, whatever that looks like. And I'm not perfect either. You know, we're all human at the end of the day. And I've raised my hand a few times and made errors for whatever reason. And it's just owning that and just being accountable for, for your actions. Okay. If I look at specifically around industry skills. So for me, what I'm looking for is more around, you know, having some basic financial acumen. You know, I talk around, you know, supply, everything in supply chain relates to a cost or a service. So it's actually having a basic understanding of financial acumen. And it doesn't necessarily mean you need to put yourself out there in a training course. You can basically look at opportunities on like voucher deals, for example, and just understanding the basics around, you know, just, you know, understanding profit and loss. What does that mean? Key accounting terms. So it doesn't need to be anything more than that. And the other point I'd like to raise is around just having some maybe an understanding of maybe project management, because obviously we're very organized um, in our industry. We're very detailed orientated and just having a basic understanding of project management and maybe look at continuous improvement or a Six Sigma type qualification, I think also helps as well. Well, well done. Th thanks for that. That was a really good summary. <laughs> really, really enjoyed the, the the length that you went to on that. It's um, I'm sure a lot of people will, will gain from that and take some tips on it. So, uh, just to wrap up, um, it's panning back out on industry. Uh, you you talked about project management and and uh, advisory in your in, in that chat. Then, our corporate advisory team here has noticed a real uptick in transformation projects, inquiries, project management, um, M&A seems to have ticked up really strongly as well, both in Australia and right throughout the Asia-Pac region. Um, from your perspective, 2021 project projections, do you see, you know, in I mean, you guys are always transforming, always on new projects, uh, but industry-wide, do you see uh, growth in that area? Do you think things are going to be flat or do you think there's going to be a continued uptick right across on transformation in business, not only in your own, but your experience in the wider support supply chain over 21. 
Yeah. So I talk a lot around around future fit supply chains, Kim. So for me, it's around, you know, robotics and automation is obviously the hot topic has been around for a few years now. So for me, it's around understanding, streamlining our logistics operations. How can we protect our people so we don't injure them? So around the, some of the robotics and automation out there is basically replacing very basic repetitive tasks. And therefore, then we're supporting our people. But then obviously, we're building in some capability in terms of then, you know, our robots can work 24-7 if we need to. It's also around looking at stronger AI, so artificial intelligence. So I talk a lot around transparency and some of the challenges, especially when you deal with very large organizations like myself, it's around having your finger on the pulse and actually understanding that without having to go through 81 different databases and computer systems to get visibility of how you're performing. So for me, it's around understanding what patterns in terms of data, getting some useful insights. I always believe that good if you've got good data, you've got, you can make good decisions. And it's around how I pull that data and get visibility across our entire network. So for me, it's around transparency and just visibility across our entire supply chain. So we talk a lot around, you know, the wider adopt, adoption of blockchain, for example. We talk about the Internet of Things. Again, they're just tools that support us around transparency and, and you know, understanding of then of around the data side of things. I also think that... Um, we need to look at our supply chains in terms of agility. I think the pandemic has given us a big wake-up call around, you know, absorbing shocks in our industry and being able to respond to those external factors. And if we can look at AI and machine learning in those areas, we can really build models in the future that help predict so we're prepared for anything. And I think that's the crucial part is how do we manage, whether it be a business continuity plan, how do we learn from what we've done before, how do we really get a grasp of our entire supply chains and I think now a lot of organizations are waking up to the fact that our supply chains are very, very complex on a global scale. So how do we make sure we've got full finger on the pulse and tracking of that and across our entire network? Well, hey, Pauline, thanks for all of that. I mean, you know, you've, you've given us a real granular, in-depth response to some of those key issues. And I'm sure that's going to be really useful for especially a lot of people coming into the industry and, and for this last piece, just about what's what we can expect to be happening in 21. Just to wrap up then, um, a question I always ask our guests, and that is from your perspective, I mean, you congratulations on your success in your career to date. But if you're talking to other leaders in the industry moving forward in 21, what would be whether these are things that have been learned over the last 12 months or the last 12 or more years in your case? Um, what would be a couple of tips that you would share with other leaders for a successful year and the year ahead? Big thing for me is around people. So people are what make a business. And it's really important to make sure as leaders that we support our people in terms of their development, in terms of their career progression, and listen to hear what they've got to say. So for me, it's, it's fundamental that we put our people first, they you keep our team safe, we're healthy and productive, and we support new ways of working, and that pandemic's led to that. But it's also around making sure then that in terms of the future, how do we then make sure then our supply chains are set up for success and we look at progressive um, pipeline and how we manage our career paths coming through and there's enough enough resources and team members in the pot to then allow us to then develop and shape our supply chains going forward. As we know, there's a big skill shortage in our industry, so it's really important for me that we really highlight and zone in on this area, making sure that we set our teams up for success and making sure they've got the right skill sets to support them. And we need to look at training programs, whether that be in-house or outside of our businesses, and just really for home and on that area, because ultimately, then the next generation are going to be making our, our organizations even more successful than they are today. Great. Hey, Pauline, thanks for the insights. Uh, really, really interesting talking to you. 
appreciate you taking the time um, and, and thanks very much for all, everything you've shared with us today. No problem. Thanks, Kim. Right. Thanks very much. And to everybody, to our audience, thanks for joining us and, and uh, joining Pauline and myself today. Um, as usual, if you want to see more of the interviews that we've had with business leaders around the world in recent times, uh, Logistics Executive TV, um, by all means, uh, go and have a look at our podcasts. Uh, you can go to our website also. And we look forward to everybody uh, joining us in the new year. Uh, all the best for the festive season, Pauline, and to everybody else as well. You too, Kim. Enjoy the rest Thank of your day. You. Thank Have you. a great Christmas. You too. Thank you. Bye. Cheers.